Gracious living God, we give you thanks. We give you thanks so we can come into your presence. We give you thanks where two or more of us are gathered. There we know you will be. God, we give you thanks that we can take this moment, step outside of ourselves, step outside of our week, and truly be in your presence. And so, God, we pray for you to fill this place with your presence. May this hour at least be the one hour that we can set aside to see you, to know you, to feel you. God, whether we are joining in online or here in person, may this be holy ground. May this be a holy time where we can see you fully, know that you are with us, and be transformed by your grace and your presence. In Jesus' most holy name we pray. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious loving God, we give you thanks. We give you thanks that our souls can sing because you are in our lives. We give you thanks that we can look back on the life that we have had and know and see the signposts that are there. And God, we give you thanks that we have this redemption, we have this grace, we have this support that comes from you in our lives, that we can be not just what we have been, but we can be something wholly new in you. And so, God, we come to you now, still with the storms of this life pressing in on us, still with the pain and suffering, still with all of the things that hurt us, and we hand them over to you. We lift up the requests that are on our hearts. We lift them up to you, knowing that in you is healing, knowing in you is hope, in you is transformation, in you is comfort, in you is peace. And loving God, we lift up this coronavirus time too. We lift up those who are sick, those who are suffering. Pray for your healing, pray for your protection, pray for you to move in a mighty way to drive this disease away, out of the bodies of those who have it and out of our world that we may live free of it once again. But God, no matter what season it is, no matter what time it is, no matter what storm winds in this world blow, God, may we know you in our lives and may we commit ourselves to being your people in every way that we can. God, we lift up that we do not always rise to that challenge, that we sin and fall short of your glory. But God, we give you thanks even as we lift those places up in our hearts is that second chance, that next chance in you. And so, God, may we take that and run with it, run out into the world, loving our neighbor as ourselves, making disciples of you with our testimony, being your hands and feet and instruments of peace in the world. In Jesus' most holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I invite uh, the children to come forward um, as Pastor Emily has a, a message prepared just for them. All right. Good morning, guys. Come on up. Okay. So tell me something. Oh, there we are. Hi, guys. So tell me something. Who has ever heard? Well, first off, everybody tell me at the same time right now, what is your favorite fruit? Shout it out. Just tell me what's your favorite fruit. Nectarines. Apples. Strawberries. Oranges. Woo. 
dragon fruit. That's an exotic one. That's fun. Okay, so now tell me something. Have you ever heard of the fruit of the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit in the Bible. Yes, you've heard. Some of you have. Some of you haven't. Okay, who can tell me what is what is one of the fruits of the Spirit? I'll give you a hint. One of them starts with love, and then there's joy. What would another one be? The heart ones. Yeah, love. The heart one. So we have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. What else? Goodness. I heard gentleness well over there. Yeah, you got one? Sharing. Yeah, that would be a kind of self-control. That would be generosity too. Self-control. All of those are good fruits of the Spirit. Did you know that God gives us good gifts and when we live lives where we trust in God, then those things start to show up in our lives like love, joy, peace, and patience. Sound pretty good, huh? All right. Will you guys pray with me this morning for the fruits of the Spirit to be in our lives? Will you pray after me? All right. So go ahead and bow your heads, fold your hands in your lap, and let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving us. Thank you for coming to us. We pray that you would give us love and joy, peace and patience, kindness and goodness, gentleness and faithfulness, and self-control. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our scripture this morning comes from the prophet Jeremiah, uh, chapter 17, verses 5 through 10. Thus says the Lord, Cursed are those who trust in mere mortals and make mere flesh their strength, whose hearts run away from the Lord. They shall be like a shrub in the desert, and they shall not see when relief comes. They shall live in the parched places of the wilderness, in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed are those who trust in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. They shall be like a tree planted by water, sending out its roots by the stream. It shall not fear when heat comes, and its leaves shall stay green. In the year of drought, it is not anxious, and it does not cease to bear fruit. The heart is devious above all else. It is perverse. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, test the mind and search the heart to give to all according to their ways, according to the fruit of their deeds. This is God's good word for us, God's beloved people. Thanks be to God. Amen. So, I am fascinated when we as humans spend a lot of money on stuff that then we never use or seem to actively go out of our way to use. I'll give you a perfect example. Um, when Sydney and I got married, uh, we did, a, you know, we think of ourselves as fairly modern people, but we did a relatively old school thing. We registered for like really nice china dishes on top of like normal everyday dishes. And we got them and like people were generous and, and like, I uh, gave a whole bunch of them. We have all of these very nice china dishes uh, that sit in a box 
um, underneath a shelf. Uh, Sydney and I, since receiving those dishes, I believe we have moved six times. I think that's true, that we have moved six times. I think we have used those dishes four times. I have moved them. I have put them in moving boxes more than I have used these thinking things because they are the nice ones. When you have that philosophy about it, you wait for the nice occasions. And then you realize, and then you, the nice occasion comes, and you've forgotten the things exist. But you haven't looked at them in three years. The other version of this that I love is the people who buy nice furniture and then cover it in plastic. No, I'm sure. I'm sure at some point, as some of us have done this, I certainly have grandparents that did that. Of like, yes, we have got this lovely matched set of furniture um, that has like the couch, the masters, the chairs. It's probably got very nice fabric. But all I've ever touched is the vinyl uh, because we are afraid we are going to ruin it by using it. We treat this stuff we have paid good money for as if it is for special occasions. But then, it just kind of never gets used. And that's fine for dishes that I should probably either start using or sell. And for furniture, if you want it to look nice, fine, whatever. But we treat God's love, strength, and support in a similar manner. That like, we're gonna save relying on God for this, the special occasions when, when we really need it or, or when it's the right time or, or when it's a problem that's, that's too big for us, then, 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 then we will rely on the Lord. But the rest of the time, we're going we're gonna to try to make it on our own. We treat God like the dishes or like a fire extinguisher in the kitchen or like the fire alarm that says break glass and pull handle in case of emergency, we think of God as break glass, pull handle in case of emergency, and then we let God in to love and support and comfort us. But that's not really how the relationship is meant to be. And you can understand where we arrive at this idea, because we have all either been parents or had parents or had parents and been parents. It usually works that way. And when we raise kids, I do this to my own son, right? We want them to become independent. My son, who is thankfully not listening at the moment, um, is at a phase where he can do, he is capable of doing more for himself than he wants to do. And so if he comes to me and asks for a glass of water, I will say, no. Go get your own water because you are perfectly capable of doing it. Part of my job as your parent, part of my job as a parent, part of the job of a parent is to prepare our kids for independence. And so that means we do have to push them to rely less on a parent and more on themselves. Bosses do do a similar thing to it. Certainly a boss I had early in my career did this to me. I was working as a scene tech, I was building sets uh, for a theater company based out of my college. I worked for Dave. Dave had a bad job. 
Dave had to build all of the sets for William Mary Theater, but it's a state-funded school, and so we had no money, and all of his laborers were college students who are, and I loved being a college student, but at least I was, inherently unreliable. And yet he had to ship all of these sets in like six weeks. And so bless Dave, he was honestly always up against it, and then he had me as a junior construction person going, how do I do this, Dave? Why is it this way? Well, how do I do this? Does this go with this? And finally, I'm like, you figure it out! You exist so that I don't have to do it! Oh, okay. That's really helpful. Thanks, Dave. And so, yes, bosses are going to push you to be more independent. And yes, Parents pushed us to be independent, and we, us who have children are pushing our children to become independent. And yes, we talk about God as our ruler, as our king, as our parent. Yeah, we use all of those words, but that's just an analogy. That is not the bedrock of what that relationship is meant to be. God is not meant to be break glass and pull handles. This is what the prophet Jeremiah wants the people of God to know. Because what the, what the people of God are trying to do while Jerem, under Jeremiah's watch is do whatever they want. Because they think being invaded by the Babylonians is a problem they can fundamentally solve for themselves. Spoiler alert, they can't do it. They don't rely on God. They don't listen to God. Um, and their entire society falls apart. And they end up in exile. Because they did not listen to God, and they did not listen to Jeremiah. That's what Jeremiah paints. What is admittedly a pretty stark picture of what not relying on God looks like. And it is verses 5 and 6. Thus says the Lord, Cursed are those who trust in mere mortals, and make mere flesh their strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. They shall be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see when relief comes. They shall live in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Okay, we live in East Texas. There's not a lot of truly parched salt land in East Texas. Currently, we are painting coats and coats of rubber on our basement so our basement will stop magically filling with water every time it rains. We drug a 200, we dug a 200 foot drain to get the water out of our basement and that made a huge difference but now the walls leak because there is so much water. So imagine yourself instead in a desert not in a pine swamp that we live in. Water is essential. And there's never enough of it. And so they would know plants that had lain not near water and shriveled up and died like any other plant I have ever cared for. You could make this one, don't be like a plant that has been given to Trey. You will shrivel up and die or eventually get eaten by a mouse as happened to the one succulent my wife tried to give me. That made it longer than most of them. You don't water them very often. I certainly did. <laughs> but water is essential for life. And the analogy being used here for God isn't just ruler or boss or parent. It's life-giving water. 
that which no living being can be without, and certainly no plant can be without. Because the positive is phrased the same way in verses 7 and 8. It is also this analogy of life-giving water. Blessed are those who trust in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. They shall be like a tree planted by water, sending out its roots by the streams. It shall not fear when heat comes, and its leaves stay green. In the year of drought, it is not anxious, and it does not cease to bear fruit. When you are drawing upon enough water, you can withstand anything. The drought, the lean years, the good years, the struggles, whatever. When you are getting what you need to feed you. That's God's strength. That's God's wisdom. That's God's power. That's God's comfort. It is the very life-giving water that is meant to be the core of your existence. No plant makes it without water. Your lungs don't make it without air. Your spirit does not make it without God's strength. When we think, I can bear this by myself, we're not just fooling ourselves. We're cutting ourselves off from the very thing we were created to need in the first place. We are created in the image of God. We are God's good creation, and God made us to be in relationship with God. But God left in a sneaky little thing called free will. You need to choose it for yourself. God could just pour all this stuff into your life, but that's not a relationship. God is there to help and support and wants to bear whatever load it is. There is nothing we have to carry on our own. God is not just our parent wanting us to be independent. God is the source of life if we will let God be that source of life. Jeremiah also throws in a reminder that our judgment is terrible. And we are really bad judges of, how, of what we need and when we need it. That's verses 9 and 10. And I love them. The heart is devious above all else. It is perverse. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, test the mind and search the heart to give all according to their ways, according to the fruits of their dealings. You ever looked at a problem and gone, I got this. I got this. I can do this. This is going to be easy. You ever got about halfway in the job, the thing you are fixing is totally dissembled, you realize it's never going to go back together, and then you call the repair person in order to fix the thing, and it costs four times as much if you would have called them to start with. Yeah, now that apply that same logic to your life. God's wisdom is perfect. Our wisdom, less so. God's strength is perfect. Our strength, less so. Our comfort, our ability to comfort ourselves is imperfect. But God's strength and power and comfort are perfect and are meant to be the very wellspring of our lives, not just the thing we consult when we think we're in trouble, because the truth is, is we've been in trouble for a while and just didn't realize it. But we do need to make that psychological shift that God is not your overworked boss or your overworked parent. God is not going to run out of strength or time or power for you. 
God is not going to look at you and say, I don't have time for that right now. God might tell you that request you are making is not the right one, but that's different. God is never going to shoo you away. God is never going to judge you. God is never going to think your request is too big or too small. God is never going to abandon you. God is never going to give up. God is never going to look at you and go, figure it out, I ain't got time for you. Which is what Dave told me a lot. God is not that bad boss. Dave was not a bad boss. Dave was overwhelmed. That is, God is not the overwhelmed parent. God is the all-powerful, all-knowledgeable creator of the universe. God spoke the universe into being and made you in a thought. God has the time. God has the power. I promise. Also, we are just fundamentally less reliable than we think we are. And we're just going to have to accept that. That we in our own judgment, and I have a hard time with this, are just less reliable than you think you are, right? They, they often do these like studies of people uh, who drive while intoxicated, um, and they almost always think, yeah, 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 no, I'm a great driver when I'm drunk. And then they get pulled over having, you know, mown down a 14 cones, a guardrail, and a sign, right? Thinking you drive great when you're drunk is a great way to end up wrapped around a tree. Often human judgment is bad. We overestimate our own skills. There's this ancient writer, guy named Pelagius. Pelagius is fantastic. Pelagius posited the idea, what if you could earn your way to heaven? Not, but most people aren't going to be able to do it. But like, you don't really need Jesus so much as you're probably going to need Jesus because you yourself are weak, but... Other people who are strong, they could earn Jesus. And this got declared heretical because the truth is, is none of us can do this on our own. We can't. We all sin and fall short of God's glory. Without God, we are a shriveled up shrub sitting on my office desk. About to go to the trash like all the other shrubs I've tried to care for. We got to give up on the concept of our own reliability. And instead, rely on God. Rely on the creator of the universe who spoke the world into being. Rely on the perfect loving parent who will never shoo you away. Rely on the fount of living water that will not dry up. That even when there are hard times, you can be strong in the Lord through God's strength and God's comfort and God's wisdom. And you can take that strength and comfort and wisdom that you are receiving and turn it into strength and comfort and wisdom for others. This is a really common preacher analogy, but if you've ever been on an airplane, they tell you to put your oxygen mask on first, and then you are able to put on the oxygen mask for another person. But if you are not able to breathe, you cannot help people. So even if, for some reason, you are thinking, yeah, 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 no, I got this on my own. I'm totally going to be fine. Think about it this way. You will be better able to help others if you rely on God. Because God's going to give you a heck of a lot more strength. So if you cannot let it be about you, let it be about helping others. Rely on God so you can bear fruit in ways you never even imagined. Love people in ways you never even imagined. True strength. True power.
true ability to make it does not have to come from bearing deep and straining our way through life. It can come by letting the water that we are meant to be fed by to feed our souls. God is a fountain of living water. We were made to be loved and supported by God. Let God love you, support you, comfort you, challenge you. That you can be who God called you to be, transformed by the only power that can truly meet all that we need. Here again, the words of verses 7 and 8. Blessed are those who trust in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. They shall be like a tree planted by water, sending out its roots by the stream. It shall not fear when the heat comes, and its leaves shall stay green. In the year of drought, it is not anxious, and it does not cease to bear fruit. God's strength is not the china you never use. It's not the plastic-covered chair. It's not the emergency breaker. It is the very stuff that can make our life what it needs and can be. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we give you thanks. We give you thanks that you can be living water for us, that you love us, that you pour your strength and wisdom and grace into us. May we have the humility to receive it, to rely on you, to be transformed by you, to be the people you need us and want us to be in the world. In Jesus' most holy name we pray. Amen. Get around you, form one united body in Christ, the power of God's spirit that is what we are. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Your strength is running out. Stop trying to do it on your own. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.